Good morning. Welcome to Seabreeze. My name is Elliot. I'm the Connection Pastor here. And uh, we're in this series where we're talking about heroes. And having heroes is pretty important. There's a few things in that um, kind of roll-in that we've been watching each week that actually kind of points it out. And the reality is, is we can gain a lot of vision for our lives based on the heroes that we have. We gain courage from their example. There's hope in the victories that the, they win. There's also clarity on what they live for and what they sacrifice for. It gives us clarity on what's really important in life. So there's value in having heroes, but if you're going to have heroes, if you're going to have people who you're going to look up to and emulate and model some part of your life after or receive hope from, you want to make sure that you have good heroes. You want to make sure that you have people who the example that you learn from actually lead you in a path that you want to go down and has a result that you want to experience. And so what we've been doing in this series on heroes, we've been looking at a number of individuals whose lives and what they did is recorded in the pages of the Bible. God decided to have their stories recorded alongside his story so that we can benefit from them and we can learn from them. And one of the things that we've seen as we've kind of gone through this series is none of these individuals were superhuman. They couldn't fly. They didn't have, you know, amazing strength. They didn't transform into anything abnormal. They weren't from another planet. Each one of them actually was quite ordinary, just like us. They wrestle with an internal battle of sin. They have flaws and shortcomings. But each of the individuals we've looked at so far, and the same with the one we're going to look at today, they chose an approach to life that was pretty unique. And it's actually an approach to life that God looks at and he says, that's an approach that I'll bless. It actually invites his blessing on life. So if we've been kind of unpacking them, we've been seeing how what they did received God's blessing. And I can tell you, if there's one thing that you want in your life, and there's one thing you want to figure out, it's how do you get God's blessing on your life? How do you experience his blessing as you walk through your life and you navigate this course? And so we've been looking at this to see what these individuals did and how they experienced God. So today we're turning our attention to a guy by the name of Peter. Now, Peter, he was one of Jesus's first followers. And Peter's story is pretty interesting. It's kind of spread out throughout the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, what's referred to as the Gospels. They're kind of the biographies of Jesus's life. And then he's also recorded throughout the remaining books in the New Testament, some of the history in the book of Acts, and then we've learned more about him through some of the other writings, even some of his own writings. So there's a whole lot of stuff that we can reference to figure out who this guy was. And we know that he was a blue-collar guy. He was a fisherman by trade. He, he worked with his hands. He was always active. He was always busy. He was doing something. He was a little rough around the edges. If something needed to be said, Peter's the one who said it. If something needed to be done, he's the one who took action and he did it. He was the kind of friend that you had growing up where if there was a fight, he would jump into the fight just to defend your honor. I mean, he was this, that kind of guy. Didn't really ask a lot of questions, just jumping in, taking initiative, taking action. And Peter actually, as you read through his story and you see what happens, you see that he kind of rises to the top and becomes a leader among the other 12 disciples, the 12 kind of closest followers of Jesus. And there wasn't a vote. They didn't kind of, you know, kind of this democratic way of saying, okay, who do we want to be the leader? He just kind of rose to the top among them. He's actually the only one who receives a nickname by Jesus. His name given by his parents is the name Simon, but then Jesus gives him this nickname, Peter, which means rock. And if you think about it, it's actually a really appropriate nickname because it's sometimes Peter would be this stabilizing force in the group, and he would go on to really kind of be a foundational individual in the growth of the church throughout the first century. 
But then at other times, you know, he was kind of hard-headed. He was kind of, you know, thick skulled and he was, he was stubborn, and it took him a while to learn some different things. So this nickname that he got from Jesus, Peter, which means rock, was really a fi- fitting nickname. And there's something that Jesus says to Peter at the beginning of their interaction and their time together, and then Jesus actually repeats it again in their last private conversation that kind of frames his life, kind of helps his life find context. And what happens in his first interaction with Jesus is it's, it's on the shore of a lake. Peter's just been out working. He's been fishing. And Jesus comes to him, and Peter's aware of who Jesus is. He knows he's an influential teacher in the region, but he's not yet decided to believe in him. And Jesus comes to him, and what Jesus says to him is this, on the shore of this lake, right after he's finished fishing in Matthew 4.19, it says this. It says, come follow me, Jesus said. So the very first thing Jesus says to Peter is, come follow me. And then at the end of their time together, there's a similar scene where Peter's just been out on the lake. He's just been fishing. He's come into the shore. Now, this is the last time him and Jesus are going to have a private conversation before Jesus is going to return to heaven. And they're having this conversation, and this is the last thing that Jesus says to him. He says, you must follow me. So in his life, what you see is these statements of follow me kind of form this parenthesis, kind of give context to who he was, what he was to live for, what his life was all about. His life was about following Jesus and figuring out what that meant and identifying the implications and working through all that. And the reason that that's helpful for us to know is if you identify as a Christian, then what you're identifying as is a Christ follower. That's actually what the term means. The word Christian was used kind of at the beginning of the church to identify who this group of people were. So they combined two words, the words Christ and follower, and came up with this word Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Our lives are about letting him lead us through this life, the situation that we face, allowing him to transform us and change us to become something that we currently are not. And so as we try to figure out the implications of being a follower— how to follow Christ, we find a good example in Peter. And there are many lessons in his life and all the stories captured about him that we can look to, that we can benefit from. So today we're going to look at a few of these stories and see what lessons we can learn as followers based on the way that Peter followed and some of the stuff that he went through. So the first lesson we're going to look at, first thing we can learn is the benefit of stepping out of your comfort zone. As a follower, You're going to be put in situations again and again where you're going to have to choose to step out of your comfort zone. And one of the things Peter is most well known for is when he, um, one of the stories about him is when he walked on the water with Jesus. And what happened in this story is it was late at night. It was about three in the morning. It was in the middle of the night. They were out on a lake. It was stormy. And some of the events that had led up to this occurrence is he had been serving alongside Jesus and the other disciples throughout the day. And they were all tired, and they were kind of worn out. So Jesus told the disciples, he said, hey, I want you guys to cross the lake to the other side. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to get some alone time. So he sends them out, and it's probably calm weather, and these are experienced fishermen. They had been out on the water, so they set out thinking, hey, this isn't going to be that bad. One of us can just kind of stay awake, and the rest of us will, you know, sleep, and we'll cross the lake. And as they're heading across the lake, this storm rises up. And now, again, like many of the guys in the boat, they had been through storms, but this one was particularly difficult. They're out there. They're getting tossed around. They're not just having trouble kind of progressing across the lake. They're actually having trouble controlling the boat. So as the boat's getting tossed around, one of them, you know, probably the one who's not the experienced fisherman and is not trying to control the boat, who's just sitting there freaking out for his life, he looks out and he sees on the water what looks like somebody walking. 
And you can just imagine in the middle of this storm, he's rubbing his eyes. He's like, what in the world is that? So he says, guys, guys, what is that out there on the water? And he points to it. And they all turn and they look and they all see the same thing. They see somebody walking on the water. Now, they don't know that it's Jesus at this point. So they're out there in the middle of this storm and they see somebody walking on the water. And you can imagine how they would respond. They actually, they responded and they said, it's got to be a ghost. And so it says they started freaking out. They were probably like, we don't even need to make it to the other side at this point. We just got to get out of here as fast as we can. So they're panicking. Jesus is walking. So Jesus sees the panic. He sees the fear. He raises his voice and he identifies himself. He says, hey guys, no need to be afraid. It's me. Calm down. There's no reason to freak out. And then this is what happens right after Jesus says this. Matthew 14, verse 28. Peter speaking. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now think about this with me. Peter is an experienced fisherman. He's been doing this his whole life. He grew up around the water. He knows the safest place to be is in the boat. Even if the boat's upside down, You want to keep your arms around some part of the boat that's floating. That is the safest place to be. I mean, I'm sure growing up, he knew people that had drowned in similar storms. He had been through this before. He also knows that this is the middle of the night. You know, it's it's dark out. It's not like what we have today where we have these, you know, these life vests, these flotations with flashing lights on them. So if you get lost in a storm, they can come and find you. He knew that if you went overboard, even if you could swim, you would be lost to the darkness. Peter's fully aware of all this, but Peter says, God, if this is you, I want to be out on the water with you. He actually volunteers, this experienced fisherman who knew all the risks, he volunteers to get out of the boat, to get out of the safety of the boat, out of the comfort zone, and be on the water with Jesus. Now, why in the world would he do that? Well, the reason he'd do that is because as a follower, he wanted to be wherever Jesus was. So if the one he was following was out on the stormy seas, And he was saying, hey, I want to be out on the stormy seas too because I want to be out with the one that I'm following. This is what it says next. Jesus is speaking, very next verse. It says, come, he said, Jesus says to Peter. Then Peter got down out of the boat. He steps out of his comfort zone, out of the safety of the boat, and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Now I think about this and I realize, okay, Jesus is far enough away from the boat at this point to where they can't physically recognize him. They can hear him, but they can't just see him and go, oh, that's clearly Jesus. So he's got to be some distance from the boat. And it says Peter got out of the boat and he started to come toward Jesus. So we don't know how many steps he took. Did he take three steps? Did he take five? Did he take 15? I don't know. But he got to walk on water. I mean, I remember the first wave I ever caught, the first time I really surfed, you know, not just kind of that white water where you're just kind of getting pushed forward after the wave's already broken, but actually being out on the open face of the wave. I mean, I vividly remember that and know what that experience was like. I think about Peter walking on water and getting to experience this with Jesus. It had to be a hundred times better than anything you could experience surfing. I mean, Peter, we don't know how many steps. He got to walk on water. That's awesome. That is so amazing that he gets to do that. The story continues. This is what it says next. It says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. So he's walking. We don't know how many steps he's taken. He's getting to experience this. And then he takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts to pay attention to the circumstances. He probably remembers, what am I doing? Why in the world did I get out of the safety of the boat? This was so foolish is probably the thought that went through his mind. He saw the risks, saw what was going on around him, the circumstances, starts to sink and he cries out for help. Lord, save me. Now, I, I, wanna, I want us to pay attention to this because what happens next is key. 
Immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand and caught him. So Jesus actually helps Peter in two ways. He, he physically offers Peter a hand, and he physically rescues him when he cries out for help. But then the second thing that Peter does, is, or Jesus does, is so key. He says to him, he says, you have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Now, this isn't a judgment on Jesus's part towards Peter. Jesus isn't, isn't, he's, you know, they're not back in the boat. This is just between Jesus and Peter. He's just grabbed his hand. He's, he's leaning over to pull him up out of the water. There's some distance away from the boat. So this isn't Jesus making Peter an object lesson for the rest of the disciples saying, hey guys, you know why Peter sank? It's because his faith is so weak. Can you believe that he would try to do this? He's not judging him. That's not what Jesus is doing in this situation. Actually, what he's doing is he's helping Peter identify a next step that's going to help him grow in the future. He's saying to Peter, he's leaning in, and another way to say this is, hey, Peter, he pinpoints the issue. The issue is faith. And so he's saying to Peter, hey, Peter, the thing that caused you to sink is because of your faith. So next time, keep your eyes on me, all right? Let's make progress next time that this happens, and you can keep walking on the water. Jesus doesn't judge him or condemn him or make fun of him. He says, okay, next time, this is something that you can do. He actually helps Peter grow. So Peter gets out of the boat. He gets to experience, personally experience, Jesus's power by walking on water. And then at the same time, he gets that amazing experience with Jesus. He has Jesus say, okay, and then next time, here's something that you can do so that you can grow more. Here's a next step that you can take to keep moving forward. All because he got out of the boat. He got out of the comfort zone. Now think about this, and I realize that there's 11 other guys in the boat. 11 guys who, they were part of the same storm. They, you know, were experiencing the boat getting tossed around. They see Jesus walking on the water. They freak out. They hear him identify himself. These are his 11 closest followers, These are guys who said, hey, we believe that this is God. This is the one who's come to save the world. These are his 11 closest followers, and yet they don't get out of the boat. They don't get out of the comfort zone, and so they don't get to experience what Peter did. Yeah, they see something really cool. They get to see Jesus walking on the water. They witness his power. They get to see Peter join in this and take who knows how many steps before he starts to sink. They get to witness something cool but they don't get to experience that like Peter did, and they don't get help in growing and taking a next step like Peter did. They didn't get out of the boat. They didn't step out of the comfort zone. That's really the risk of not getting out of the boat and stepping out of the comfort zone. The risk of not stepping out of your comfort zone is missing out on growth. That's really what we're risking. That's what the other disciples missed out on, some very helpful growth to move forward in life. So the question for all of us is really, what's, what's your comfort zone? What's the boat that you're in where when, when you're in these situations, you're safe and you don't want to get out of that? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a dating relationship, and you know that this isn't really what God has for you, but you know it's comfortable and it's easy, and so you just kind of keep going with it. Maybe it's an amount of money in your bank account. Maybe it's some kind of retirement plan, and it's just, you know, life's comfortable when I have all this together. You know, maybe... You know, it's going home and just turning on TV and watching Netflix and not interacting with anybody. You know, not taking the risk of going and meeting people or connecting with your neighbors or, you know, so it's just, I'm just going to stay in the privacy of my home and I'm not going to interact. I I have a friend and she had the fear of flying and she sensed God pulling her to participate in some relief work that he was doing in a hurting part of the world. And so she actually stepped out of her comfort zone by going to the airport and getting on a plane. 
You know, maybe your comfort zone is isolation. Maybe for you, if you, know, if you just kind of keep everybody at arm's distance, you know, they can't get close enough to you and they can't, they can't hurt you and they can't affect you. So you keep making changes in life and keep changing scenery and moving on to different things because you're just trying to keep everybody at bay. In reality, what's happening is you're missing out on some really useful help that God has for you when you allow yourself to be really known by other Christians. So what's your comfort zone? You know, for me right now at this stage in my life, I'm a, I'm a creature of habit. I really enjoy daily routines. I've always been like that. You know, I'm, I want to be like, part of me wants to be like one of those like crazy adventurous people that just throws caution to the wind and every day I don't have a plan and I just, you know, I'm on this great adventure. But in reality, I like lunch at the same time every day. I wake, like waking up at the same time every day. I like knowing what I'm going to eat for dinner every day. Like I really enjoy routine. And now that I'm a parent with two young children, my wife and I have these two kids at home. One of the things that I also really, really enjoy is my kids' routine of their sleeping schedule. I like knowing they're going to be asleep at a certain time, and they're supposed to be asleep. And I, I don't know how it is with your kids, but I've noticed with my kids, when my kids stick to the sleeping schedule, they're a little better behaved. And I also really like that as a parent. But there's times where in order to participate in what God wants our family to participate in, in order for me to join God in what he's doing, there are times where I have to upset the family routine so that I can do that. I have to get out of that comfort zone so that I can be a part of these things. And I'll just tell you, it's a challenge. Whatever your comfort zone is, it's a challenge. But the question is, are you going to step out of that and join God in that? Because when you do, that's where you get to experience him in new ways, and that's where you receive much-needed help to take a step of growth. I mean, that's what Peter experienced when he decided to get out of the boat. He got out of the boat, he took the risk. The other disciples, they saw a miracle, but Peter, he got to live the miracle. It was his experience. He was the one who walked on the water. He's the one who received the personal words of Jesus saying, okay, next time, here's what you need to focus on so you can keep moving so that you can keep growing. So what's your comfort zone? You might not get to walk on water, but as you follow Jesus and join him in what you're doing, as you take the step outside of your comfort zone, you will experience his power in new ways, and you'll receive some much-needed help. And as a result, you'll grow. That's what happens when you get out of the comfort zone. So what's the comfort zone? As a follower, be willing to get out of it. Another thing we see in Peter's example is that a follower needs to be teachable. As followers, we need to be teachable. This is, you know, pretty irreplaceable. There's not much we can get in place of choosing to be teachable. It's an important aspect of following. In our lives, an important realization is as God interacts with us and moves us forward, he actually is going to interact with us similar to how a sports coach interacts with athletes or a team. What God's going to do is he's going to kind of in the flow of life, he's going to give us, he's going to put us in situations and give us opportunities to learn something that's going to help us and be beneficial to us in the future. And then also what God's going to do is as we're moving through life, he's actually going to instruct us and he's going to guide us. Just like a coach is, you know, kind of constantly teaching his players and offering instruction. God does a very similar thing to us just in the flow of life. He realizes that, you know, it's learning about him and learning how to live isn't something that just happens inside of a classroom, but it's really in the laboratory of life that God instructs us and leads us forward. He's just kind of constantly doing this, kind of constantly challenging us to take stuff and put it into practice. But let's just be honest, being teachable, learning from instruction, even admitting that we are wrong and we need to learn, that's not easy. And it doesn't come natural to us. 
And I remember when I was growing up and I was in high school, I had a basketball coach and he was a new coach to our team and he was pretty hard on us. And I was really struggling with it. And I remember going home from practice one day and I was, you know, complaining about it to my dad. And my dad said something that I really appreciate him saying. And what he said is, he said, Elliot, you should be glad that your coach is treating you that way because it means that he cares about you. It means that he's paying enough attention to know what's going on in your, as players' lives and what you need to learn, and he's pinpointing those, and he's challenging you to work on those. So you should actually appreciate the fact that he cares about the kind of basketball player that you are. And I realized that what my dad said is, is true. That coach, he was trying to take me as an individual basketball player and the rest of the individuals on this team, and he was trying to take us somewhere we had never been before. He was trying to take us to a new level of skill and competition that we had never experienced or been a part of before. And so there were, as an individual, there were selfish tendencies that I had as a ball player that I had to stop and I had to get rid of. There were bad habits that I had to break. There were new habits and new skills that I had to develop. There was that selfishness had to be replaced with teamwork and unity. There was all kinds of changes that need to be made. So he was constantly kind of encouraging and redirecting and challenging and sometimes stopping the whole practice and saying, okay, here's what's going on and here's why this isn't working and here's what you guys need to do and running us through drills. And at the time, I didn't really like it, but when I realized, oh, this is because he's trying to, he's, he's got a goal, he's got an end in mind and he's moving us towards it as a team, all of a sudden the correction made a whole lot more sense. It didn't, didn't mean that I was like, oh yeah, anything you have to say, I'll do it. I just love the correction. I never got to that point. But I started to see, oh, this is actually for my benefit. He has my best in mind, and that's why he's doing this for me. And it's very similar when it comes to, to following Jesus. In Peter's story, something that you see as you go through it is you see kind of this continual thing happen where Peter is just, it seems like over and over again he's getting corrected. Sometimes it's just a slight redirect and you know, Jesus is answering a question or helping him understand something and redirecting him. Other times, he receives some pretty strong correction. I mean, out of all the correction that any of the disciples receive, Peter gets some of the strongest correction that any of them receive. I mean, there's one time where Jesus is walking with the disciples, and he's teaching them as they're walking along the way, and Jesus is explaining to them that eventually he's going to go up to Jerusalem He's going to be arrested. He's going to be falsely tried. He's going to suffer many things. He's going to be put to death. And then he's going to rise from the grave. And he's explaining this to the disciples. And Peter's sitting there thinking like, hey, we, you know, we believe that you're God. There's no way we're going to let this happen to you. So Peter, being the one that, you know, is never lacking in something to say, pulls Jesus aside and he tries to correct Jesus. And he says, Jesus, there's no way we're going to let this happen to you. And then Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Incredibly strong correction. Actually, what Jesus is saying to him is he's saying, that thought was put in your head by Satan and you believed it. So he strongly rebukes Peter in this situation. I mean, Peter's, he's one of the top disciples. From his perspective, he's probably just thinking, hey, I'm just trying to help you out. Whoa, dude, like, take it easy. You know, one of the, one of the very strong rebukes that you find in scripture and, it, and I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of different responses that Peter could have to this, but he was teachable. He learned from it. There's another time in Peter's life where Peter started to kind of focus on what other people thought about him. Kind of this, kind of this fear of, what are people going to think about me? I want to make sure and leave a good impression. I want people to respect me and think highly of me. 
So instead of kind of living the life the way that God instructed him to live it, he started to value what people thought, and he started to do some stuff that he wasn't supposed to be doing. He really wanted to impress people. He wanted to leave a good impression on them. And in this situation, it's not Jesus that comes to him and corrects him. It's actually another guy, a guy by the name of Paul, a guy who previously had been super anti-Christian. He was just against anything having to do with Jesus Christ. And then once Paul discovers who Jesus is, he goes to Peter, and Peter helps him grow in his faith. And then as Paul is growing in his faith, he would go back to Peter and get some much-needed direction on how to live. So in a lot of ways, Paul is kind of a junior or kind of not as far along on the path as Peter is. But here's Peter. He's gotten off. He's, you know, making decisions based on what people think instead of what God says. So Paul's the one who goes to him, and this is what he says in Galatians 2.11. He says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Don't you just love to be opposed to your face? And that is just the best kind of correction to receive. I mean, there's all different kind of ways that he could have responded to this. This is Paul. This isn't, you know, this isn't somebody who he's like, oh, this is someone superior to me. This is somebody I believe is God. This is someone who Peter could have looked at and said, dude, you don't know as much as me. You're not as far along as me. You haven't been doing this as much. I mean, remember, I'm the one who helped you along the way. Remember, I'm the one that spoke direction into your life. It's one thing when the correction comes from Jesus, from God, It's another thing when the correction comes from somebody who we could look at and say, they're not as important as me or they don't know as much as me. What's amazing about Peter when you read through Peter's story is he was teachable. He didn't reject this correction. He didn't say in these situations, you know, they have no idea what they're talking about. You know, they're wrong. He didn't go hard-hearted and say, say, well, you know what, I'm never offering my help again. Or he didn't go, you know, say like, well, you know what, I'm just going to push Paul away. I'm going to ignore Paul from here on out because he hurt my feelings by confronting me to my face. And I'm going to start bad-mouthing him to everybody that I know. He didn't do that to Paul in this situation. In both situations, you see, he was teachable. He learned from it. He received the correction, realizing that he wasn't perfect, he wasn't complete, he didn't know it all, and he said, okay, you know what, that's right. I need to make some changes in my life. Now, one of the things I think we can really benefit from, but we might overlook in Peter's story, is the timeline of events. Actually, that correction by Jesus where he says, get behind me, Satan, that wasn't the first time that Peter was corrected. But we do know that that correction, and then the one that comes by Paul, where Paul confronts him to his face, it's about 20 years apart. And that's really helpful for us because you never outgrow the need to be teachable. One happened when Peter was probably a middle-aged man, and the other happened towards the end of his life. He never got to a point where, you know, I've learned it all, there's nothing I need to learn, there's no habits I don't need to change, no tendency or patterns that I don't need to replace with something else, there's no sin in my life that needs to be addressed. He never got to that point. He always needed to be teachable. As followers, it's the exact same with you and me. We're never going to outgrow the need to have other people and God speak into our lives and correct us. You just always, as long as you're here, you're never going to reach that point. You're going to have to over and over again be willing to learn from correction and be teachable just like Peter was. As followers, we got to realize Jesus is taking us somewhere that we've never been. And because of that, because he's taking us somewhere we've never been, he's changing us and helping us to become something that we currently are not that means that we'll never reach a point where we've learned it all. All the lessons to be learned in life, we're never going to have it all figured out. We're never going to reach a point where, where there's old habits and patterns and ways of thinking that don't need to change. We're never going to arrive at that. We're never going to reach a point where we're sin-free and there's nothing in our life that needs to be addressed. 
So because of that, just like Peter, we've got to be teachable. And whether the instruction comes directly from God through his word speaking to you, or whether the instruction comes from somebody else, even somebody who, who you might not agree with and might not even respect, as followers, we've got to realize, hey, you know, I have the ability, just like everyone else, to get off the path. So we've got to be open to correction. We've got to be teachable if we're going to keep moving forward. It's a key to following is being teachable. Another lesson that we can learn from Peter is that as followers, we need to keep moving. Followers need to keep moving. This is something that we've got to do. we just got to keep moving. We've got to stay active. You know, sometimes in life, we kind of foolishly think that God is looking for perfect people. He's looking for people that kind of have it all put together. He wants to bless people who they've cleaned up all their messes and they're put together and there's nothing wrong with them. He wants to use people that are just, you know, squeaky clean and there's no flaws in their life. That's what God's looking for. The problem is, is that's just flat out not true and those people don't exist. Even the people that try really hard to put on this front of they've got it all together and they're perfect and they don't have any issues, that's just not true. It's a facade. The reality is, is God's not looking for perfect people. God's actually looking for people who keep moving. It's one of the things that he's looking for. And what's interesting in Peter's story is as you read through it, what you see is over and over again, he encountered situations where he could have easily given up. He could have stopped moving forward. He could have quit following. I mean, there is this situation back on the boat when he steps out of the boat and he starts to walk on the water, and then he ends up starting to sink. And that was in front of all his friends. He could have concluded, you know, how embarrassing. How embarrassing. I tried to do something in front of my friends, then I started to sink. I'm never doing that again. You know, I'm not getting out of any more boats. And then there's the situation on the road where he tries to kind of say, hey, Jesus, we're not going to let you die. Like, we're going to fight for you. We're going to defend you. We're not going to let this happen. And then Jesus corrects him and says, hey, you know what? You're agreeing with thoughts that Satan put in your head. I mean, he could have just been like, whoa, 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 dude. Like, I'm never offering my opinion again. I'm not going to speak up again if, you know, this is the way that I'm going to get responded to. And then there's another situation where in Peter's story, he's got the idea that Jesus is sparking a revolution, but he he misunderstands the type of revolution Jesus is here to bring about. And so what he does is he starts carrying around a sword. So then there's one night where Jesus invites him and some others to come and pray with him, and all of a sudden this mob surrounds Jesus, and they're going to arrest him. And Peter's thinking, all right, here's our chance to fight. So he whips out his sword, and he just starts swinging his sword, ends up cutting a guy's ear off. And then in response to him cutting this guy's ear off, I mean, he's expecting everybody else to fight back too. I mean, this is Jesus with him. He's probably thinking like, you know, Jesus is going to do some like, you know, Thor maneuver where he just like punches the earth and everybody flies away. But that doesn't happen. What Jesus does is he actually corrects Peter and says, hey, Peter, put your sword away. He gets corrected in front of the enemy, in front of the mob, and then Jesus picks up the guy's ear and heals him. So he's probably sitting there thinking like, whoa, 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 like, I was just trying to defend Jesus, and then I get corrected, and then he heals the enemy? I cannot figure this out. I have no idea what's going on. I am so confused. I, just, I keep trying, and I keep messing it up. He could have come to that conclusion. And then there's his most famous mistake when he publicly denies Jesus three times. I mean, he had just said earlier in the evening, he had said, said I am going to die with Jesus. I love Jesus so much that if he's got to die, I'm going to die right there with him. He just said, like, I am so devoted to this cause. I believe in this so much that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand right there with him. And then just a few hours later, later that night, three times in a row, he 
says, I don't even know who Jesus is. And actually, what's really interesting about that story is Jesus witnesses him do this. Says the third time he denies Jesus, him and Jesus make eye contact. You could imagine the shame and the embarrassment of, I just said I was going to stand with this guy to the end, and then when I experience some opposition, I just completely back out. And it says he, he went outside and he wept bitterly. I mean, he was just so discouraged, and I cannot believe that I did that. And he could have said, you know what? I, I've already told everybody I don't believe in the guy, that I don't even know who he is. I've never heard about him before. I've already denied him. I might as well just walk away. I mean, he saw me deny him. You know, he's not going to want anything to do with me. I can't figure this out. I can't get this right. I don't know what's going on. I keep trying and getting it wrong. I'm so confused. Over and over and over again in this guy's life, he could have just said, you know what, I'm not following. I'm out of here. I'm not moving forward anymore. And what's interesting is when we look at Peter's life and when we look at our own lives, we really look at life similar to how you would look at a photo album, kind of, kind of individual motionless pictures that capture a moment in time, kind of a series of kind of highs and lows. And the problem is, is an individual picture, while it might portray what was happening the moment that the button on the camera was pushed, it doesn't capture what's really going on in a person's life. So we look back on our own life and we see these, you know, either this, you know, all these successes and all these highs and we think, man, life's going really well. Or we look at our own life and we see these snapshots of of a failure or confusion or a time that we didn't get it right and we just come to this, I just can't figure it out. You know, my life, is, my life is just a wreck. We're just looking at these snapshots. Where when God looks at life, he doesn't look at life like a photo album. He actually looks at life the way that you would watch a movie. The camera is always rolling. It's just a series of continuous events. Actually, what's interesting in the Bible is there's a word the Bible uses to kind of convey this idea of success, what success in life is. And the meaning of the word that this, or the word that the Bible uses to convey success, the meaning of it is to push forward. That's really what the Bible's talking about when it talks about success. Success is just keep pushing forward, just keep moving. So when God looks at our lives, he's not looking at these snapshots and coming to conclusions. He's really asking the question, okay, what now? What, what are they going to do now? Are they going to keep moving? Are they, are they going to make progress? I mean, he, he looks at it, and just like he made eye contact with Peter, and Peter had denied him three times, said, I don't even know the man. Jesus makes eye contact with him, and really the question going through Jesus' mind, okay, how is Peter going to respond? What's the next step Peter's going to take? And I think this is something Peter learned early on, you know, back in that story where we talked about where Peter steps out of the boat. Because remember when Peter steps out of the boat, after he takes a number of steps and he starts to sink, he doesn't receive judgment from Jesus. He doesn't have Jesus walk up to him and say, dude, why did you even try? You should have known that you have weak faith and you should have never gotten out of the boat. I'm so disappointed in you for even trying. He doesn't say that to him. What does he say? He says, hey, Peter, next time, here's what we need to focus on so that we can do this. He has him point to this is about progress. This is about growth. This is about moving forward. So when Peter experiences those, what we would look at and say, oh man, that's a failure. He should just walk away. What he could have even looked at and said, you know what? I can't get this right. I can't figure it out. I'm so confused. I'm just going to walk away. I can't get this right. Instead, he realized, you know what? This is about progress. This is about getting up and just keep moving forward. 
I'm following Jesus, and he wants me to keep moving, so I'm just going to keep moving. And Peter keeps moving, keeps moving forward. Step after step keeps making progress. So just like Peter's a follower, if you've identified as a Christian, you're a follower too. If you've come to the conclusion that Jesus, in fact, is the only one that can offer us new life and forgive us for the sin that we've committed and restore our relationship with God, then you're identifying as, hey, my life is about following this guy. And so just like Peter, if you want to grow, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. You're going to have to get out of the boat and join Jesus in what he's doing and realize that it's in those moments where you experience his power and he gives you that much-needed help so that you can take that next step of growth. And just like Peter had to be teachable and continuously learn from instruction and correction, it's the same with us. In this life, we're never going to arrive. We're not going to reach a point where I've got it all figured out, I don't need anymore. So we've got to be open and sometimes even seek it out. Hey, can you help me understand what's going on here? Because I can't figure it out. Be open to correction, be teachable. And then just like Peter, instead of letting those snapshots of his life define him, those singular moments where it looked like he was a failure and he couldn't get it right, instead of letting it, those be the defining moments, he realized, you know what, I just need to keep moving. I'm a follower. And just like when I got out of the boat and I received help and I experienced Jesus encouraging me to take a next step, it's the same situation. I, my life might look like a wreck right now. I can't get anything figured out. But you know what? As a follower, I'm going to figure out how can I just keep moving? How can I take another step and keep moving forward and realize that that's what God's really looking for? He's looking for us to make progress. If you'll join me, we'll wrap up today in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for the fact that in your word, you haven't just given us a series of instructions on how you want us to live, but you've given us examples. You've given us examples that really give us hope and help us see how this could look in our own lives, and you've given us examples that paint a picture of what it looks like when, when we do encounter trials and when we do need to grow and when our comfort zone is challenged, God, and what you can do in response to that. So I thank you for the lessons that we can learn from Peter's life, lessons about getting out of the boat and trusting you and then what you provide, that you're not there condemning us and judging us and finding every flaw, but you're encouraging us and challenging us to take the next step, and you're identifying, here's what we can do to make movement forward. God, I thank you for that. I, I thank you for the fact that you do instruct us and teach us because it shows us that you love us and you care about us enough to speak into our lives. And God, I, I pray that we would realize that a singular moment does not define us, but what our life is to be about is to continue to make progress in following you. Thank you, Father, again for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.